0: Well good morning. It's great to be here this morning with all of you. Uh, I came in this morning and there were bright shining faces. and uh, It's just been a great morning here at Refuge. I'm so happy to be here with uh, my church family. Um, thank you Heather for that uh, reading and that prayer. Sorry to you know load so much onto you. <laughs> um, but I'm excited this, uh, this morning to be here as we get to share uh, and hear the word of God. Um, this morning, we get to look into one of the more well-known stories in the Bible, um, Cain and Abel. Uh, a lot of people, even if you've never been to church, you probably have heard about Cain and Abel. Uh, it's pretty well-known. Um, and this morning, that's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 4. Uh, a little bit over a year ago, my wife and I were preparing for uh, Daisy's birth. Daisy is, is our daughter. Uh, we went to classes, and we tried to learn what to expect you know, we even got a book that said what to expect when you're expecting. You might have heard of it before. Um, we talked to friends. We did everything that we could to prepare ourselves. Uh, there's even a parents website, that uh, parents.com, that you can go on. And, and there's this blog that uh, women try to explain what childbirth is like. Uh, well, th- there, was, there was a couple of those explanations that, that I, uh, I found kind of amusing. I figured I'd share them here uh, this morning. the first person says, uh, every time a contraction would come, my lower back would slowly begin to seize up. It was kind of like the muscles inside were slowly twisting harder and harder until it almost became unbearable. It was much more painful than I had imagined it would be. Uh, The next woman says, I would consider labor pains as cramps multiplied by a million. (laughs) It feels like your abdomen is trying to squeeze out all its contents, not just the baby, (laughs) Uh, the best description I can offer of how the pain felt was like a deep internal pulling, someone reaching up into me, grabbing a hold of whatever organs they could and trying to pull them out. Uh, This woman says, it felt like my whole pelvis was made of breaking glass. Um, And and this was, was my favorite. The pain was so bad that in the middle of one contraction, I imagined that I had walked away from my body. I tried to picture myself walking on the beach. Of course, that didn't work, and my next thought was of the epidural. <laughs> um, as much as people can try to tell you what it's like to go through this, until you've ex- experienced it, you don't, you don't really know. Uh, you know, someone could tell you about labor and delivery, or, or even another one that I heard a lot was about holding your baby for the first time. Uh, you know, you, you won't know what it's like until you do it. And, and there are a lot of other things in life that you don't really and truly understand until you've had it happen. Um, maybe falling in love or having your heart broken, uh, losing a loved one. These are things that, that you can grasp in your head, but until you it's experience it, it's, it's a different thing. Um, I often remember that Jesus tried to prepare his disciples uh, before his death. He tried to explain to them what was coming, and, and they just they just didn't get it. They didn't understand. But after after he was crucified, and after the resurrection, and he ascended, they were able to understand what, what he meant when he was explaining things to them. Um, I often think that might be why God doesn't waste too much time trying to explain what heaven will be like. Because in our minds here, we just, we're not going to be able to really understand it. Um, last week, Pastor Kyle uh, was in Genesis 3, and he talked about the curse, the curse of Satan and of Adam, and of Eve, and and the rest of us, um, the rest of us as well, uh, the curse of man. And as he explained it, and as God went through that in chapter 3, it felt very academic. God was explaining what the curses would be. This is what will happen. Well, as we move on to chapter 4, we're going to go a little bit away from academic, and we're going to see the curse play out in real life. We're going to see what the consequences of sin are in real day-to-day life. Um, explaining the curse of sin and watching your, out, your offspring live it out are two very different things. And today, our passage is the living out of that curse. And we're going to look at the consequence of sin, and we'll see that in Cain, it created a selfish giver, an unrepentant heart, and, uh, and also... Um, apathy, an apathetic heart, excuse me. Uh, So the first thing we're going to look at is that Cain was a selfish giver. Uh, Adam and Eve have two sons right at the beginning, verses 1 and 2. We see that uh, Eve bore Cain and she bore Abel. Now, when I was talking with Tammy about this, she said, you want to talk about the curse happening in real life? Start right there she had the babies, she experienced the pain in childbirth. That was the curse, um, which is true. The curse is playing out in the, right in the first uh, couple of verses, and, and she's knowing what it truly means. Um, immediately, we're introduced to these two new characters, Cain and Abel, and, and kind of like Adam and Eve, in my mind, they're a pair. I don't often think of just Cain or just Abel. I don't often think of just Adam or just Eve. They're a pair. They go together, um, and, and that's what we look at here. Immediately we learn that Cain was a worker of the ground and Abel was a keeper of sheep. Uh, so we know, okay, this is what we do. Uh, excuse me, this is what they do uh, for a living. And we are told immediately that they, are, that they brought an offering. Um, in verse 3, it says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Uh, I love this story because it makes it very evident early on that it isn't simply our actions that we need to be aware of. Cain and Abel, they did the same thing, they each brought an offering. But it was more than just their actions, it was the heart that we needed to know. Uh, Previously we talked about Adam and Eve, they ate an apple, and that's kind of how this curse all started. Well, eating an apple doesn't seem like that big a deal, right? But it wasn't just that they ate an apple. There was was a level of disobedience. But also, they didn't trust God, and they wanted to be like God. There was that deeper level. There was something underneath. It wasn't just the actions that they performed. It was their heart. Um, Here we see that Cain and Abel both give offerings, which seem like a good thing. But for some reason, Abel's is accepted and Cain's isn't. Well, how are we going to see, or how are we going to tell the difference? What was, what was different between Abel and Cain? The first thing we're going to look at, uh, and the reason that we'll see that Cain was a selfish giver, is uh, what they gave. So the first thing we see is that Cain brings an offering of the field. And there's a difference in how it is presented when Abel's offering is mentioned. Abel's offering He says, he brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. It seems to say that Cain brought an offering and Abel brought his best offering. And it's evident through scripture, not just here, but in other places that we'll look at, that Abel's was accepted. So so what did he give? Uh, Abel's offering was not as logical as our offering. Uh, Abel offered a sheep. When well, we come every morning, just maybe 10 minutes ago, we had an offering. And we gave uh, money into a, into a bucket. That money will go to help the church uh, function day to day. It will go to help missions. It will go to help people. And we can very easily look at the money that we give and see an impact that it has. Well, Abel's gift was really kind of useless, right? Right? God didn't need the sheep to eat. He didn't need to make a blanket out of the sheep. You know, like he didn't need it for anything. And it was just burnt. He burned it up. Now, when we come, we do not expect when we put our money in the offering bucket, we don't expect Dave and Donna to take it in the back and light it on fire, right? (laughs) That's, That's not our expectation. Our offering, we expect it to go to something. But Abel's, he took his best and he gave it to God, and it was burnt. You see, the point was that he gave his best. It wasn't something that God needed. Um, recently, most of you guys probably know that uh, the elders here at Refuge have um, have brought me forth uh, to to be an elder here at church. I'm very excited about this. There's going to be a vote soon, um, and and this is this is. A great opportunity, but I'm a little worried about what I'm going to say next and if they're going to rethink their uh, (laughs) their (laughs) putting me forward for this. But uh, I want to tell you, God doesn't need what you give every Sunday morning. He doesn't need it. Whether or not you give, he's going to complete his work. Now, Thank God he uses us and he allows us to give. We have the opportunity to give, but he doesn't need it. He didn't need that sheep, right? God didn't need it, but Abel offered his best out of faith. Um, We deal in currency, but he was dealing in sheep. This reminds me of a story in Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44, and there's a widow who comes into church, And who gives two coins that equal about a penny. Uh, And there are other rich people that are coming in and they're giving and they're giving lots of money. But Jesus tells his disciples that she gave more because she gave out of her poverty and out of faith. The offering isn't about what you give. God doesn't need that. He uses it in great ways. And we don't want you to stop giving, let me be clear. (laughs) He uses it in great ways, but he doesn't need it himself. He can do, he can, he says, I can take the rocks and I can cause them to worship me. He can do whatever he wants, but he chooses to give us this opportunity. We get the opportunity to be involved in a church that is helping reach the lost for Christ. We get the opportunity to give money to help children who are hurting. You see, Abel gave his best, and we get the opportunity to give our best. In the Gospels, we also see Jesus saying not to worry about using expensive oils. There was a woman who was using expensive oils on his feet, and and one of the disciples said, hey, why are you doing that? We could sell that and give the money to the poor. Jesus says, hey, she's giving her best to me. Don't tear her down for that. That's what she's supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be giving our best for Jesus. You know, it might even make sense to us to say, oh, why didn't they sell the oil and help the hungry? But Jesus says, no, give your best to me. Why? You do it out of faith because you know God is going to take care of you. God is going to take care of the hurting. God is going to take care of the poor. He will. And we give because we have faith that he will not only take care of them, but he will also take care of us as well. Uh, In Old Testament, the burnt offerings, they were a valid form of sacrifice. Again, because God didn't need it, but because it was out of faith that it was given. He calls us to give our best. I want you to, to take a moment and think about it. Your finances, your time, your talents. Are you giving your best? Are you giving your best to God? You know, Tammy and I own our own home. Well, the bank owns our home, but we like to think we own our home. And someday we'll pay the last mortgage payment, hopefully. And we'll pay off this house, and and this house will be ours, right? Well, you know what? At some point, we're going to die, or we're going to sell the house to somebody else. This stuff, it's not ours. It's just going to be gone. We're we're not going to have it, and we're going to move on. All this stuff that we have is truly God's. We treat these things like like they're ours, but they're God's. Do we give him control of our finances? Do we let him take over and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? You know, I think for a lot of us, what ends up happening is kind of the opposite. Maybe you have a dog at home. We, uh, we used to have a dog when I was a kid. Um, and sometimes, you know how dogs do this. this There's a reason why they say puppy dog eyes, right? They have puppy dog eyes. And, uh, you know, at the end of the meal, maybe you just have a little bit left and you, the dog comes over and it's looking at you like, you know, you know, you want to give me that last little bit, right? And you say, all right, I'll give you, I'll give you what's left, what I couldn't finish, my leftovers, right? Ah, oh, man, sometimes I think that's what we do with God, right? We say, oh, I, I couldn't finish this, so here, you can take it. This is what I have left over. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be giving our best. That's what Abel does. He gave his best, the firstborn, the first fruits. We already saw that it's not the quantity that matters but it's the quality of what you give. That's what God wants, is the quality. Um, just like that widow that only gave a little, but she gave her best. Uh, the reason that Abel's offering was accepted is because the offering reveals the heart. He, do, he doesn't only evaluate the quality, though, but, but also the motive. So we saw uh, what he gave, and now we're going to look at how, uh, how they gave. And for this, we turn to uh, Hebrews 11.4, and it shows uh, that Abel gave his offering, and it was accepted by faith. Hebrews 11 is the, uh, is the hall of faith, a lot of, commonly referred to as the hall of faith. It goes through many people from the Old Testament and the New Testament and their faith, and, and why their faith is accepted. Uh, they were commended for their faith. And Abel is the first one that's listed. And it says that his offering was given out of faith and it was commended to him as righteousness. And even further, it says that his faith still speaks. And now Hebrews was written, you know, a couple thousand years ago. Uh, But that's true today still, right? Abel's faith speaks to us today. We're sitting here talking about it. And it, at that time, it was true, and it's, it's this time now. Uh, excuse me, at this time, it's true as well. Um, on the flip side, Cain was offering his offering out of duty. He was doing it just because this is what was supposed to be done. And he, you could tell in what he gave um, why, why it seems that way. Uh, Cain brought an offering of the ground. Abel brought the firstborn, the best. Um, he still performed the action, but not with the faith that Abel had performed it. In Second Timothy 3.5, it says that he had the appearance of godliness, but denied its power. That's what Cain was doing. He had the appearance of godliness. He was doing the action of offering, but he was denying its power. He wasn't doing it out of faith. Warren Wiersbe says that Cain was practicing a false righteousness of the flesh, instead of a righteousness of God through faith. The level of trust that Abel shows by offering his first fruits shows that he knows that God is the one who provides. He knows that God is the one that provides. Uh, Recently, uh, we've been having some issues with Daisy uh, at dinner time and lunch time and breakfast time, pretty much any time there's food out. Um, She has been swiping all her food all over the place. We put it on this little tray thing and she just wipes it all over the place. And I really don't have as much patience as I thought I did. But anyway, that's besides the point. But she swipes the food around. She knocks it off. The food is falling on the floor. Uh, And this is pretty annoying. Right now, though, we're just trying to get her to stop doing this action. That's all we're trying to do. Eventually... We're going to try to teach her the reason why she shouldn't do this action, right? We're going to teach her the motive behind it. But right now, it's just the action. Just stop doing the thing. Um, But down the road, it will be the motive. She needs to do it for the right reason. Good enough is not just good enough. Uh, It's not just enough to be here this morning. Maybe you say, God, you know what? I came here this morning. Isn't that enough for you? No. It's the heart. It's the motive behind it. He wants to get your best. Cain's Kane, example shows us that it isn't just about what you do. It's not just maybe that you're here this morning. It's not just even that you, you put some offering in the plate as it passed by. But how do we give ourselves? What is our heart behind it? This, is, this has been... Um, Convicting to me personally, and Tammy and I were talking about it uh, recently as well, because uh, specifically in the area of offering, a lot of times uh, I start to think about giving to God like another bill, right? Like this is just, just another check that I have to write. This is in my, my budget or whatever, um, and it's just, just another bill. And I don't give my best to him. I, I'm ju- it's just a thing that happens. Where's our heart? Where's our motive? Are we trying to give the best, not just of our finances, but also our time and our talents? How do we give? Are we doing it joyfully? Are we excited? This morning, I was talking with Pastor Kyle, and uh, I was talking about uh, you know on the ride here. I was getting really nervous. I always get nervous before I get up in front of a group of people, and. Uh, know why you have such lovely shining faces I shouldn't be nervous at all Uh, but I was I was getting very nervous and at, at a certain point God just reminded me he said hey you have the opportunity to serve we get to serve God we I get to come up here we get to give our money to God and watch great things happen this is awesome There's no reason to be nervous. It's a reason to be excited. Um, Do we joyfully give our best? Cain brought some, and Abel brought his best. One was meager and begrudging, and the other was with a joyful heart. You see, sin not only led Cain to be a selfish giver, but also, and we'll see here, uh, it manifested an apathetic attitude towards sin. In verse 7, we see God says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Crouching is the same as an ancient Babylonian word referring to an evil demon or an animal crouching outside the door of a building, threatening people inside. That's pretty... um, descriptive uh have you ever been camping and maybe an animal got a little bit too close for your liking right and not like you know a squirrel but you know something that uh or maybe a squirrel who knows um uh and it got a little bit too close for your comfort or maybe you've had somebody break into your house uh what's what's your reaction to that I I can tell you what my reaction was uh before Tammy and I got married it was probably about I don't know maybe about 12 years ago she had um she had an issue where uh, she wound up in the hospital. She had a little fall and uh, she, uh, we, we didn't realize this until later, but uh, we think she had a concussion. But uh, when she was there, she, she was nauseous and they gave her some anti-nausea medicine. Uh, so Tammy does not react too well to medicine, uh, but you don't always know that until you go through the experience again. Uh, so. This was one of those experiences where we realized that Tammy does not react too well to medicine. Uh, So she took the anti-nausea medicine, and they sent her home. And and I brought her home, you know, tucked her into bed or whatever. Uh, And then I went back to my house. Uh, So maybe about 2 o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call. And on the other line, I hear, There's someone in my house. So now I'm like, what? I hear them on the stairs. So now I'm awake, awake, awake at 2 o'clock, right? I have my bearings, and I'm like, okay. She's like, I was like, can you call the police? She's like, you need to come over here right now. I can hear them. So, you know, of course, being the good boyfriend that I was, I jumped out of bed, threw on my clothes, and I was, tearing down the streets to get to her house. But before I left, I looked around to see what I could find, right? <laughs> so I, gra- I had a mag light. So I grabbed the mag light, and I'm on the road. And I am ready to do some business, right? Like, there's somebody in her house, and I'm going to take care of things. Now, of course, I get there, and there is no one anywhere to be found. She was crazy. No, um, <laughs> The medicine apparently had reacted very poorly with her. Um, But there was somebody, in my mind, there was somebody there that was ready to attack. So I was going to grab a weapon. I was going to grab something (coughs) and take care of things. (laughs) Um, So God, at this point, in verse 7, he warned Cain. He says, if you don't do well, sin is crouching at the door. Sin is ready to attack. God warned him, but he didn't listen. He proceeded on without heeding the warn- warning. And we do this all the time, right? God warns us all the time, and we proceed on and we say, nah, I, don't, I don't need anything. I don't, I don't need to grab my maglite. I don't need to get anything. Um, sin's not that big a deal. Th- this isn't this bi- that big a problem. I'll be able to take care of it. Well, Cain's sin was so blatant and in your face, right? But God warns us of this all the time. And, and what does he say in Ephesians chapter 6? He talks about the armor of God, right? He says, Our fight isn't with flesh and blood, but with rulers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what our battle is. Our battle is with sin, right? We think our battle is with our boss. We think our battle is with Uh, the guy who just cut us off, right? We think our battle is with our spouse. We think our battle is with uh, these earthly things. But God says, no. My focus is on the flesh and blood, earthly portion of the battle. But the spiritual battle is where it's at. That's where the fight is. He talks about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes that are the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. These are all spiritual armor pieces. Our battle is with sin. Sin is crouching at the door. It's ready to attack. And sin desires to have you. It says, Uh, Its desire is contrary to you. That kind of reminds us of uh, the curse of Eve and how, you know, it says that your desire will be for your husband. Um, Sin's desire is for us. It wants to own us. And, And it can, just like it did with Cain. But you have to fight it off. God says you must rule over it. Philippians 3.19 says, destruction is the end for those who are ruled by their fleshly desires. If you're ruled by your fleshly desires, death and destruction, that's your end. Uh, Cain's desire was for vengeance, and it was his jealousy. You see, Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God too. They didn't heed his warning. They ate the fruit. The next sin that we see is Cain murdering his brother. Sin escalates quickly. It can get out of, out of control real quick. Initially, it was an offering that wasn't good enough, and that turned into murder. If we let it fester, it'll turn into a wildfire. Now, maybe it won't be murder for you, but it will grow and grow if we don't attack it. If we don't rule over it, Satan wants us to believe that sin isn't that big a deal. He wants us to believe, don't worry, the culture tells us that it's fine, right? That's what Satan wants us to think. He wants us to think, don't worry about sin, you're good. But God says, it's crouching at the door. Satan wants us to be apathetic, but God says that we must rule over it. Now we saw that the consequence of sin concerning Cain being a selfish giver, and that he was apathetic towards that sin. But in addition, we see that it was very evident that Cain had an unrepentant heart. In verses 5 through 8 it says, But for Cain and his offering he had no regard, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, he rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Verses 6 and 7 show that for God, this wasn't a definitive issue. He says, why are you angry? If you do well, will you not be accepted? He's saying he's giving him another chance. He's saying, you can change this. You don't have to do this. Cain hasn't been cursed yet. We, we read that later on. Later on, he's been cursed. But God is showing him another way. And just like Cain inherited Adam's sin nature, we, we inherit Adam's sin nature as well. We're all born leaning towards sin, but we're punished for committing sin. God has given him the chance to repent right here. And repentance carries with it turning away from one thing towards another thing. Cain can change. He can repent and turn away. He can stop giving an unacceptable offering and he can start giving his best joyfully. But his reaction to God's correction was not to repent and change his way rather to go out and kill Abel out of guilt and jealousy Abel was murdered simply because he did the right thing God asked Cain where is your brother Abel And oh his response is so callous verse 10 it says in the Lord or excuse me verse 9 the Lord said to Cain where is Abel your brother he said I do not know Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, C.H. Spurgeon preached a sermon on this verse, and I I love the way that he said it, so I'm just going to quote him here. He says, If it had not been on record in the page of inspiration, we might almost have doubted whether a man could speak so impudently when actually conscious that God himself was addressing him. Men blaspheme often in a most terrible fashion. But it's usually because they forgot God and ignore his presence. But Cain was conscious that God was speaking to him. He heard him say, where is your brother Abel? And yet he dared, with the coldest impertinence, to reply to God, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Wow. What a jerk. (laughs) I mean, like, (laughs) I can't believe that. I can't believe it. You see, this wasn't a one-time mistake. You know, Cain didn't just, just kind of make a bad call here, right? Like we see, he doesn't care. He doesn't care that it's God. He's unrepentant. Am I my brother's keeper? So let's just take that for one second. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, yeah, you are your brother's keeper. Okay? This is what we see over and over in Scripture. Jesus, the second greatest commandment that He gives is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Right? We're supposed to take care of one another, we're supposed to bear one another's burdens. We're created for community. Right? These are all phrases that we've heard over and over again. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes, I am. Uh, As I mentioned before, recently I've been thinking a lot about church leadership and studying it. Uh, from the, the things that are going on here at Refuge in uh, Hebrews 13, 17, it says to obey your leaders because they will give an account for you. Now I know this is talking specifically about church leaders but that's very evident. Are we our brother's keeper? Yes. Yes. We'll give an account, right? So I'll ask you this morning Where is your brother? Where is your sister? Now, these were specifically, they were um, actual brothers, but we know sometimes that can be in reference to a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. Now, if you're like me, God probably brought somebody to your mind when I asked that question, right? There's probably somebody that you know that I really should be checking in on this person. Where are they? Maybe not even physically. Maybe they don't come to church here. Maybe it's just you need to know where, where are they at spiritually, mentally. I challenge you. If there's somebody that's on your mind, on your heart right now, don't hesitate. Contact them today. Check in on them. We are our brother's keepers. We're supposed to be there for one another. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens. And if we don't, we're falling into the same sin trap that Cain fell into. Now you see his cry in verses 13 and 14. It says, Cain says to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. This is Cain's response to God's curse. He does not say, I'm sorry for what I did to my brother. He says, what did you do to me? What am I supposed to do now? Where am I supposed to go? I'm just going to be wandering. All he cared about was how this impacted him. He was completely unrepentant. Completely unrepentant. I know I killed my brother, but you're sending me away, and I'll have to wander around, and someone might kill me. He wasn't prepared to pay the consequences for his actions. But see, this is the beauty of the mercy of God. Even in the midst of this, he turns and says in verse 15, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Now first of all, just kind of separating from that, man, the sovereignty of God that he can do that, He can put a mark on someone so that no one will kill them. That's pretty amazing, right? But on top of that, he did this out of his mercy. He said, my curse isn't to kill you, and I'm not going to let anyone else do it either. We see that these real-life consequences, these things that actually played out in chapter 4. We saw that Cain had selfishness in his giving. He was apathetic and a lack of repentance. There's a whole section of the chapter that I didn't want to make Heather read uh, that we didn't touch on that talks about Lamech, which is one of Cain's um, descendants. And Lamech murdered a man. And he said, after he murdered him, he said, if anyone comes at me, my vengeance will be 10 times what God's vengeance on Cain was. He certainly thinks a lot of himself, that's for sure. Um, he had multiple wives, right? It was the first uh, evidence of polygamy in the Bible. So, needless to say, sin is running rampant at this point, it's everywhere. But at the end of the chapter, God gives us a reason for hope. Let's take a step back and let's consider the, the events of chapter 3. Uh, during the curse of Satan, God says there will be enmity between the serpent. And the woman's offspring. He shall bruise your head and you will bruise his foot. Well, if you've been in church the last couple of weeks here, or maybe just in the past, you've learned this, uh, you can see that that offspring is Jesus. That's the Messiah who came to have victory over sin and death and hell. But Eve doesn't have the whole Bible, right? She doesn't know this. So at the beginning of chapter four, Eve says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. She says, this is Cain, my offspring. With the help of the Lord, I've gotten the man. This is the one. He's going to be the fulfillment of the curse of Satan. Well, expectations can be a tricky thing. Uh, In my home growing up, my mom's expectation was that I was going to get A's maybe the occasional B on a report card, right? There was a whole process involving cleansing with pig's blood if there was a C. But (laughs) A's and B's were, that was the expectation, right? Well, one day I came home in high school and they had sent home my midterm report. Now, remember midterm report it was not the actual report card, but it was the midterm report. And on a piece of paper from my school, next to my name, was the letter F. Now, yeah, I know, right? Now, at this point, my mother started to tell the story of Eve and her expectations that she had and how I was just like Cain. No, okay, that didn't really happen. But Expectations can be a tricky thing. Uh, Eve had this expectation that Cain was going to fulfill this promise in the curse. Um, But it is very evident that Cain didn't live up to that expectation. And it happened quickly. The original plan was man in the garden with God, but sin came and ruined it. And this plan that Eve thought was taking shape, sin came along and ruined it. In my research for this sermon, uh, someone asked a simple question uh, in, in something that I was reading, and I'm sure you've thought of this. I don't know why I'd never thought about it before. Um, I just kind of treat the stories separately often. But um, can you imagine what it was like for Adam and Eve to watch this happen? I mean, they were still around. We know that they lived hundreds of years. They watched this happen. And they had to sit there knowing that you know, we, we can say sin came into the world by one man and, and death by sin, and we know these verses, but, but Adam and Eve had to watch and know that what they did resulted in one of their sons murdering another one of their sons. That's pretty heavy. They had to watch that happen. Of all the consequences of sin entering the world, Uh, The biggest consequence was that it leaves us unable to deal with our spiritual need. We have a spiritual need, and we cannot deal with it on our own. We are separated from God. You see, the Cainites, in in the rest of chapter 4, we read uh, Cain's offspring and how they built a culture. They were able to create uh, weapons and musical instruments, and there was writings. And they, they had a whole culture. And really, they were functioning and thriving in human terms. But it's evident with what happens with Lamech that they are void of God. We see in verse 16, Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. You see, an outside source is necessary to give what is needed to fulfill our spiritual need. There needs to be something else. We can't do it on our own. And this is what we see in verse 25. It says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. See, the name for Seth, it sounds like the Hebrew word for he appointed. God appointed Seth. The name Cain sounds more like the word um, gotten. And previously she said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So Eve says, I have gotten, and it goes poorly. And then she says, he has appointed, and it goes well. Because you see, out of Seth comes the line that Jesus Christ is born into. In verse 24 we read, uh, excuse me, for 24 verses we read about Cain and Lamech. And the vile and vicious turn that humanity had taken. And then quietly in two verses we read there was an appointed son. And then in verse 26 it says, To Seth also was born a son and he called his name Enosh. At that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. In those two verses God has provided hope. Hope that there can be something different. This reminded me of a song that we sing sometimes, uh, Sovereign Over Us. And, And here are some of the lyrics that made me think of. His plans are still to prosper. He has not forgotten us. He's with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever. You're perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. You know, we meet the first four people that we meet. Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. Three out of the four are cursed directly by God. Things were not looking great. (laughs) And then here he comes with Seth to show, I am still in control. I am sovereign. He's given us an answer to the riddle of sin. He's provided a way of escape. So so, how do we fight sin? What do we do? You know, there's a great um, there's a great contrast to this story of Cain and and how he reacted to to his sin being found out, and it's in Psalm chapter 51, and I'm going to read it uh, here. And this one's 19 verses, so at least I didn't make you read that one. Um, so in Psalm chapter 51, it says. Uh, It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So just like Cain and his sin had been found out by God, this is David's response when his sin has been found out. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would not give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. David is repentant. He says, I have sinned against you. Create in me a clean heart. Don't leave my presence. Restore the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. And he says, so that I can teach others. I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Change me. Verse 16 and 17 says that it's not about burnt offerings, but rather the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God. That's what you're looking for, a broken and contrite heart. And that's what David comes to him and says. I can't do it on my own. I repent of my sin. I need you. That's the answer to the riddle of sin. That's what God has provided for us. My prayer this morning for you, truly, is that wherever you are, that you would take this example of David and repent, and have a broken and contrite heart before God, because that's the offering that he's looking for from you. Please join me in prayer.